Welcome to Optimizing Human Potential with some of the top experts in the world of mind, body, and soul. In this show, we'll deal with everything from holistic health and fitness to spiritual growth and consciousness. Here are your hosts, Nicole Cruz and John Kempf. Hello, and welcome to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul. I'm Nicole Cruz, Super Busy Mommy Coach, helping busy parents reach high levels of fitness and health despite being sleep-deprived and interrupted every two minutes. I'm John Kemp, Functional Strength and Nutrition Coach and Yoga Instructor, and I teach people how to improve their performance and their health using movement, nutrition, meditation, and mindfulness. And today we have a dear friend on the show, Tiara Owen, who I am so excited to introduce you to. Tiara provides a menu of comprehensive resources, including Qigong and movement, nutritional support, self-love, and mindset strategies to help nurses and moms optimize their experience. She's the author of 52 Ways to Love Yourself Postpartum, a guide for new moms to transform postpartum blues to postpartum bliss. Tiara, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, you guys. It's great to see you here today. Uh, so Tiara is one of the people that we've been introducing you to from the from the summit we went to in June. Just another one of the amazing people from there. I almost like you better with the hat. I, that form. Yeah. Of- <laughs> I'll get there. I thought maybe I'd come. I'd just be uh, here. I am, and then I'll start covering as uh, as time goes on, and it gets yeah. a little bit more intense. <laughs> These are my son's Fourth uh, of July classes. I don't know if you can tell. They've got the little stirs no. on them. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm enjoying one of the beautiful fall days we have out here in Northern California. It's kind of our summer. We've got probably about 75 degrees hitting me right now, and I'm just soaking it up. I didn't get enough yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and over here in New York, where it's uh, starting to get a little ch- more chilly than that, I'm a little jealous of you there in your tank top. Um, <laughs> and let's not even talk about John in Maui. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Tiara, you're just such a total badass and an amazing Monocle. person, and you have so much depth and I just want to start off talking a bit about your background and then I know that as we just continue talking all of those you know absolute gems of wisdom that pop up if anyone talks to you for more than three minutes are just going to start flowing out so let's go like so you're a nurse why don't you mm-hmm. tell people a bit about how your career got started and oh. how it's evolved into all the different things you're doing today? All right. Well, I do think that I had the distinct um, offering to become uh, interested in women's health at the age of 11 when I popped open a version of Our Bodies, Ourselves. I don't know if you guys know that book, but my generation, that was sort of the hidden book in the back of the closet for us to go and look at to learn like real science about being a female and what happens to our bodies as we grow up and grow older. So um, my stepmother at the time I lived with my father, my stepmother was pregnant with my little sister and I was kind of invited along on the journey to 
come to Lamaze classes. That's what we did back then and um, attend the birth. And I actually declined attending the birth at that time, although I kind of second guessed myself now, like, oh, why didn't I do it? But, um, you know, it was like, it was not my mom, it was my stepmom. And I just had some misgivings about just being in that intimate environment. So I just went along for the ride and followed the pictures in this book, which gave, you know, really good, great pictures of um, women having their baby naturally. And I was just kind of astounded and a little freaked out um, that a female body could do this. (laughs) Fast forward about... 12 years. Um, I had my first child really young, right? I got pregnant right as I, maybe six months after I graduated from college, she was born four months before my 25th birthday. And that whole memory kind of reemerged with me. I spent a summer um, traveling around in my van. I was quite a hippie, just uh, living in the woods and having a VW van. And I was in this nook of a bookstore in Boulder, Colorado. And I pulled out this book by a really famous midwife named Rahima Baldwin and um, was just amazed by um, just the process of birth all over again. So when I became pregnant, probably a year and a half later, um, I knew that I wanted to have a home birth. So I did. (laughs) And I was up in Southern Oregon at the time. And, you know, that was sort of my experiential learning about my path. So it wasn't a direct path. I spent five years in organic farming right after she was born, it was sort of the perfect home-based business for me to do, to raise a child and be in nature and be on the farm. But during that time, I trained to be a doula and I began attending births and um, got picked up by somebody who's a dear friend of mine um, today, Donna Brown, as her apprentice to study midwifery and attend home births with her. So that occurred. And in the midst of that, I began working at a hospital as a um, lactation um, technician, supporting the lactation consultants there and going around in rooms and helping mothers breastfeed. So I entered nursing school at that point. I was somewhere around. It was like my Saturn returns when I realized that nursing was really the vocation I needed to dive into. And this is after getting a bachelor's degree in anthropology. Like I said, I had graduated college and then had a baby soon afterwards. So I went back to school, became a nurse. I think by the time I I graduated when I was 35. Yeah. So it's going on 15 years. Um, And was only in love with labor and delivery nursing. That really was sort of my calling to kind of have a solid job and get benefits and support my family because I had really been running around with a lot of piecemeal kind of work before that. So yeah, so that that was, um, I got hired in the same hospital I did the lactation work for. And um, I'm definitely a daughter of that place because I am still employed there today. So that's kind of where I came to nursing and specifically labor and delivery nursing and then working with um, women and health and um, personal growth as well. Mm -hmm. So then I know that you also lift and you're also really into Qigong. And so how did those Mm -hmm. come into your life and how do those inform the way you think about self-care? Yeah, that's a Great question, Nicole. So I've been a lifelong athlete, 
training and gymnastics as my primary sport as a kid, all the way up through my teen years. And then um, I hit around 15. I kind of had that delayed onset menses, which a lot of athletes do, but everything, I became basically a woman at age 15 where like, wow, all of a sudden I had breasts and Mm. my, you know, my, my, um, I had some, you know, weight gain around my hips, just a full change and became really too heavy for gymnastics at that point. Um, not that I was overweight, but, you know, weighing 107 pounds at that time and being five foot tall was really kind of a stockiness that wasn't super supportive to the sport. Um, so, um, I went into coaching at that point and coached all the way through college and actually even, um, when I had my first child, I, I remember I would bring her to the gym with me in my little backpack and, and coach there too. So I stayed with that for quite a long time and did a lot of swimming in college. That was sort of another thing that I kind of went into. I really loved the underwater meditation that occurred in, in a long um, distance lap swimming. And then when I was working at the hospital, I as a lactation um, technician, I met my current husband and he was a martial artist and he knew that I was pretty like kinesthetic body oriented. And he's like, you know, you got to come, you got to come train at our school because you're, you absolutely love this. So I trained Shaolin Kung Fu starting in 2002 and got introduced to Qigong, um, through that. I have, uh, my teacher's lineages go straight back to the Shaolin temple and um, he was the one that had um, a start with daily Qigong practices as sort of the warm up and the centering and the grounding for our Gong Fu work. So that was my introduction. And then I had a couple more kids and stayed with Gong Fu actually through that, but it became more intermittent. And, and slowly I really had to step away because it was just too much of a commitment where it was very, um, I had to be there at certain times. I needed a more of a fluid practice schedule at that time. So I think it was when my youngest was three, I started doing CrossFit, which was great. I mean, that kind of introduced me to lifting. Um, as an adult, I did some lifting when I was back in gymnastics in my teen years, but um, it introduced me more technically and more seriously. And But I think the main thing I got out of CrossFit was this amazing group of friends that were developed. It's very, very community-oriented. A lot of the gyms in CrossFit ha- have a lot of like challenges and social events that happen. So I think that that was one of my impetus is, if that's a real word, into kind of just growing my ability to connect and converse with other kind of close women that were on a a health journey. And I think it really started out like sort of my coaching career in a way. So, So that occurred for a number of years. And then the gym that I was training at closed. I continued to do lifting through another local gym. And then, um, which I'm still, I'm still doing that, but along that path, I, um, engaged with, uh, Anthony Monteith, which is another one of our, um, summit brothers. And, mm-hmm. um, he was sort of like my reintroduction to Qigong and helping me to remember how much Qigong supported my mental, emotional, spiritual wellness um, foci. 
So I trained with him for six months and got my teacher certification through him and then started training outside of that. He also encouraged me to start actively pursuing more work in martial arts, in which I did. I just actually got my brown belt. Congratulations. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, Japanese sword. So uh, wow. that actually just happened this Thursday. So that was pretty amazing. But I've been wow. doing Qigong with... Um, with my sword brothers and sisters, um, since my teacher certification. And I also teach at a local, um, a local health club here, um, outside of Santa Cruz. Wow. Badass, dude. No, it's, just a, it's a whole lot of fucking fun. I just got to say, it's just, it's just a blast. Well, yeah. Just, just to give people an idea, uh, your five foot five, one, uh, yeah, maybe I, yeah, maybe I'm five foot if I stand, stand up right. in like a super Qigong stance. <laughs> and jacked. I mean, when you see this woman, it's like, oh, she's adorable that she like, takes off her sweatshirt and you see like, the arm muscles bulging and like the muscles in her thighs just like, boom. And you're it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. I just want to like, for anybody out there that understands performance and numbers, Tier and I were jokingly going back and forth just this last week i was giving her I was, I was talking about front squats i was like you probably put up 135 no problem she's like oh this is tiara too how humble she is she's like oh stop no that's too heavy i could probably only do that like once or twice i'm like <laughs> you can front squat more than your body weight for reps like guys go try that at the gym and then come see me yeah like tiara is a total badass and so um, and yeah. very, very wise and deep. And so, I mean, that's why I take seriously any kind of advice I get from Tiara. And I'm, I'm still seriously looking into and considering becoming a doula because you mentioned that to me. Mm -hmm. So I want you to know that I'm taking it very seriously. That's awesome, Nicole. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to see how I can um, make it work with, you know, everything else going on. <laughs> I'll tell you that being a doula is like, being a it's like being a glorified labor and delivery nurse because you get all the aspects of all the awesome stuff of birth and you have to do none of the bullshit computer charting. Yeah, so it's yeah. like Perfect. all the job that I want to do, but <laughs> I have to do like the legal documentation side, which is sort of the bane of the existence of the nurse, the bedside nurse. Womp, womp. I know. Real world. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's um, that's in the plan for me. I'm that's what I really I'm thinking I want to do moving forward, and it's just a matter of making a feasible plan. So thank you for that. Um, awesome. But yeah, so to, to give you guys an idea, like that's how much I cherish Tierra's advice. And you know, at the summit, I just you know got to overhear so much advice Tierra gave to other people, and it's just golden. You know, her perspective, her ability to um really connect with the individual and see where they're at and, you know, provide what is relevant to that unique person as opposed to just sort of pushing what might have worked for her. It's just amazing. Um, Thank you. You're welcome, of course. Yeah, and I, I have a question too for you just because it's, it, it highlights um, your ability to uh, balance very well. You're very good at integrating and balancing. And I attribute that to your commitment to your rituals, to your strength training routine, to your Qigong, to your self-care practices, which 
was the subject you spoke about in the first Radiant Well Care Summit two years ago. And I so appreciated that talk. And I just wanted to uh, kind of ask you how you use self-care and more specifically really qigong in the aspect of self-care how are you using it in your life how does it benefit you integrating this energy practice into everything else but then also how does it affect your work life and how are you looking to integrate that self-care system that qigong practice and self-care system into your next venture which is Mm. really bringing qigong into the nursing workplace right well i wrote a blog and maybe we can link to it in the show notes but it was called um how qigong is the ultimate um cross trainer for nurses and i think that um qigong is it's such a trip because you know a lot of people may think it's like they might have some idea about it but um and it might look fairly simple, like nothing's going on. But as Anthony has told us in um, our teachings, it's not, um, it's not just going and, and sitting in some um, stance for 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is that you do, where it's kind of like, what is this person doing? It's actually the cumulative practice of Qigong that really offers its gifts. So it doesn't even take that long, you know, and with John, you probably know with your yoga practices too, it's like, it's very similar in that way where it really builds on itself. So I feel like for me, Qigong has been um, so multifaceted in the way that it's offered me its gifts. Like even this morning before our podcast here, I was able to go out and do a session um, with an oak tree that's in my backyard that I actually never even connected with. And so Qigong has this marriage of, of kind of the shamanistic roots where it is very nature oriented, very connected to um, kind of the cosmos as well as um, Taoism too. So it combines those two in this really beautiful way and in connecting just being near this tree, I felt like I was just being offered all this gifts that all of these gifts that had I not gone out and stood near it, had I practiced in my house, had I practiced on the cement that I'm sitting on right now, that I wouldn't have been offered the teachings that I was in that moment. So um, it's really interesting because you can so much more deeply once you connect with your own energy and understand what it feels like and where it's going and where it's plugging into more unconsciously, you start to pull that back in and consciously triage out choices for yourself so that you plug into the things that you consciously and mindfully choose to plug into. And then, like I was saying, for once that gets a little bit more dialed in by practice, I think it takes about six months of solid practice to, I mean, and and that might vary from person to person to really get this pulse on where you're at energetically. And then you start to connect more deeply and become aware of others outside energy to you, like this tree, for instance, or other people that I work with or live with where they're at. Um, And I started having flashes of things where I would just go for a walk on a beach and I would just pass by somebody and all of a sudden I would just feel like where they were at. Mm -hmm. And it really it tripped me out. I actually didn't even believe it for a little while um, Mm -hmm. until I got some 
confirmations on some of the things that I was feeling when I would connect like last year. And I think early morning for me is the closest time. It's like the time before coffee, right? Where you're still in that alpha brainwave state or maybe even theta brainwave state where you're actually a little bit more connected unconsciously, right, to the universe. And so I would get these like waves of things going on. Like I was going to tell the story of one of my coworkers was pregnant and I woke up that morning and I was like, she's coming in the hospital today. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, what's that? So I came into work and I didn't really even question. I was starting to get more comfortable with the idea that, um, you know, don't take these things for granted. You know, you need to pay attention to them. So I told everyone at work, I was like, you know, we need to be ready because she's coming. I'm not going to name names because of HIPAA, but she, within like a half an hour, she called the hospital and she's like, my water broke. And I was like, okay, good. We have a room for you. We're ready. Um, And so stuff like that, it's just that, I mean, it may sound woo woo, but you start to connect to something that you don't connect with in the everyday world. And so it's been really good for me in the way of healing too, because if there's something going on inside of me, I'm able to more deeply and quickly pinpoint that and draw back from whatever else I am engaged with and know that like the energy needs to go into that area in my body or my ethereal body or my emotional body in terms of working on that. And I've actually gotten a little bit better about communicating too, because there can be this whole world going on inside of you um, that others are like, what's going on? So, um, so with my husband, you know, I'll pull him aside. So I'm like, just so you know, like this is what's going on with me. Um, and that's why I might be acting a little crazy or a little bit distant or whatever it is. Um, and then as far as future goes, I, and, and what I started this out with, with this blog that I wrote is we have the opportunity with Qigong to become master nurses, master people at the bedside and to offer a different kind of healing than we would normally with our medicines and with our tools. Medicines being like more, I'd say, pharmaceuticals. So the kind of listening that you can do, the kinds of hands-on work that you can do, or the kinds of presencing that you can do just by being at the bedside. And I think, like I was saying before, you're able to even triage in your workday what is the most important thing to do to meet your goals for therapeutic healing. And you're able to get really efficient at the shit that you don't like to do. Like I was saying, wah, wah, wah about the computer charting. Well, it's just like, you know what? That's sort of a background thing for me. I can do it quickly, efficiently, but my real work is being at the bedside and presencing with um, my patient. So yeah, so I do want to offer that. So I'm wanting to, I have some programs in place that we're going to be, um, I'm going to be developing probably over the next year to um, specifically offer nurses techniques, specific techniques to bring themselves in so that they can come out um, more fully and work and they can help their day be sustained and mastered through the mastering of themselves and their own energy. I love that. That's like, like you said, what a relevant career field to apply the work, the practice into. And it just made me think of a quote, magic is science not yet understood. And, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about like, Oh, receiving information from this medium, this, you know, field of energy, 
you can call it woo woo or you can go read the science on it that exists right now. And it's everywhere. There's so many books on it mm-hmm. talking about zero point energy, the quantum field, you can call it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Awareness of the fact that it exists is the most important. And then realizing that you're a radio receiver that is in interacting with this medium, you know, you're picking up those things. And like you said, so relevant in, in all of these practices. I think that's like one of the biggest things. And for me, it comes back to the definition of yoga union. It's bringing you into that connection with yourself, with the source of energy, the zero point field, on and on, whatever you want to call it, and whatever doctrine you're studying. But Qigong is so cool to me because it's so pragmatic, like the the practicalness of Taoism. Like it's like so simple and neutral, and it's just you know like this is you know the best way, not you know the best, but it's just you know, it gives you like a very structured kind of approach to it. And Qigong, mm-hmm. I see that too, because like yoga has a little bit more of like the flowiness, kind of the feminine energy and the way mm-hmm. I, yoga is, it's more for me anyway, this is my personal experience with both of the two practices is yoga almost allows for a higher efficiency of the flowing of that intuition of that message coming through, you know, and mm-hmm. like that, that took me to the other point I wanted to touch on is like what you're talking about is receiving an impulse, some intuitive idea that came out of nowhere seemingly and it happened to come true later that day for you. You know, like that, if you were to look at it from a scientific approach based on the, the institute, it's called IONS, I-O-N-S. You'd be really interested in this. I think they're in California. Oh, I've been there. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's channeling. Yeah, so they have, they actually have a, um, a retreat center called Earthrise. Yeah, the Institute yes. of Ion- Yes, yes. Yeah. The Institute of, what is it, John? I, I want to say Ion. It's not Ionic. It's... Nomadic Science. Yes, uh, yes. The nomadic. Institute of... Nomad- noetic Science. Noetic Sciences. Yes, yeah. So Earthrise is a, a retreat center where kind of they they sort of house some of the research that goes on right there. It's actually right in Petaluma. I've been there twice. Yeah, of course. I was just there last month. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. But I mean, like that's the, there's a really good video I watched from them recently where they were Mm -hmm. very objectively, unemotionally, scientifically explaining channeling for all the people out there. Nice. It's basically just that exact process of you receiving information from the everythingness all around us, the ether, yeah. the absolute, whatever it is. And that Im- intuitive impulse is just another form of that process occurring. It's just your radio beacon picking yeah. up on the radio waves that exist yeah. everywhere all the time. We just can't see them with our eyes because they're limited to the spectrum of light, a very narrow band of, of the spectrum of light. You know? Yeah. But, we're doing it all the time. And yoga, in in my eyes, yoga allows for that process to really move through you and qigong is much more of like you know like wuji posture you're just holding a container you know you're creating a bigger stronger vessel to allow for the energy to move through you yes and there's this aspect of emptiness and the void that's in qigong that's a little bit different too because Mm. of its it you know it does have the Taoism, but it also has a little bit of the influence of the Buddhism, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, no self, no, you know, no soul. It's, you know, the void, the emptiness, which, you know, other people speak of that too. I heard Robert Peng, he's a uh, 
Qigong master that lives here in America is awesome. He um, talked about this really cool analogy where he said, so there's different paths to get to Everest. You can go to Everest from China or you can go to Everest from India and you can go to Everest from Nepal. And so, you know, Everest being sort of that self-mastery Mm-hmm. Um, peak that, you know, the, the yoga way would be, you know, the way from India and that you're sort of climbing up the ladders of the wheels of chakras sure. up to kind of meet the spirit world. Whereas the three Dantians in Qigong are, are more about entering the void. So yeah, like you're saying, it's just a, kind of these different like linguistic conceptual aspects, mm-hmm. um, as well as like a different, a little bit different flavor kind of ascending the mountain. Yeah. It's many paths to the same forest too. Yeah. You know? And yeah. you know, you look at it, they're all different tools. You can't use a hammer to unscrew a screw. You got to get a screwdriver, you know? And that's the, like one of my favorite quotes is you give someone a hammer, everything turns into a nail. Like and that's the whole funny thing about the spiritual journey is I found it, here it is, oh, 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 grabbing it. You know, you're trying to identify, objectify, physicalize it, attach to it. I get it now. I know what it is now. My life makes sense because I have it, that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's just a hammer, you know? You can use right. If you, if you use all the different tools, you'll, you'll have that, that better approach and then you know when you're on the mountain too like a big part of my journey is non-judgment you know like just because that person chose to walk up the rocky cliff edge that's their choice you can learn Mm -hmm. through joy or you can learn through pain they're both amazing teachers and whatever path (laughs) you do you know we're all gonna walk both of the paths a little bit because you want to try every flavor of ice cream you're gonna step off and like oh yeah definitely don't want to do that again good now i know that i can keep hiking up the path that i was originally on or maybe you pivot you know and you're like okay this path doesn't serve me anymore i'm not learning as many lessons as i would like to i feel stagnant let me switch over to this path okay now i'm learning more i'm using a different tool the novelty is bringing a culmination of new experiences that always integrate back into the whole of what you originally practiced anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. And that's kind of the thing about oneness and kind of dissolving yourself into the oneness. It's like, you know what, you want that flavor, that variety of your individual expression to come through you. That's kind of the uniqueness of being embodied on this plane Mm -hmm. is having that and, and going after the feeling of what feels good, what draws you, what lights you up to explore those different avenues. And like you're saying, it might there, you know, it might be a pain process. It might be a bliss process. Mm -hmm. I like that you brought up the linguistic part of it because I feel like that is so important and not often talked about, but one of the biggest turning points for me came two years ago when someone who knows me very well recommended a book that completely changed my life because it took a lot of these teachings that I had heard of, but that I couldn't connect to. And it just happened to be written by somebody whose mind worked like mine. Uh And so learning from, this was just a book. I didn't even have to go in person and learn from this person. Just reading the book all of a sudden made it click. And I was able to implement these practices that to me had sounded so woo woo and out there. But when somebody explains it in the language that intuitively made sense to me, I was like, oh, so when they say this, 
they're really just talking about that thing that I feel every day. Like even the concept of energy, I was talking to someone the other day who was like, oh yeah, well, you know, you, people talk about all this energy stuff. You can't even say that that exists. And I'm like, no, um, you feel this every day. Like this is something that you feel moving through you, the sensations you feel in your body our energy. And once you understand that, it's just a matter of learning how to manipulate and control them in different ways. And, you know, it's like making that connection for me in a way where it was real to my experience. Now, all of a sudden I can read all of these, you know, and learn from all of these different practices because I know what the language means. It's Mm. brought it down to earth for me. And I think that, you know, even as all of us being coaches and teachers, it's so important to realize the different ways people can perceive these things to be able to try different languages or introduce them to different teachers to find that entry point. Because mm-hmm. for me, it is very much integrated into my life. It's very much down to earth. It's very much, you know, a lot of people differentiate between the material and the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's very much the same thing. And that's why I never connected very much with those practices that talked about the spiritual being separate. Mm -hmm. And then once I was able to take what, to realize what to me was all part of the same um, experience and like identify those parts of it that for other people are perceived as being separate in this spiritual world, all of a sudden I could connect with the teachings and start applying them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Words have frequencies too, you know, and my husband's a singer. And so we were just having this conversation this morning that may not even be the specific words. Sometimes it might be the tone Mm -hmm. and energy in which the word comes across. Um, And so he's always very sensitive to tone in words. He'll pick up right away if something's off with you because of the tone. Um, And I think being trained, you know, as a singer that really, you know, it really showed that to him really clearly. But like you're saying, Nicole, like sometimes even, you know, the right words in the wrong tone can still be the wrong words. You know, they're not vibrating with your own body, your own energy, the way that they need to actually bring it in. Yeah. And I mean, that's a beautiful example too, because it's with anything, right? Like if you were to, like a massage therapist would be able to pick up on tactile dysfunction in the human body so quickly that something the naked eye of somebody else wouldn't catch or like a coach, I can see a curve in the spine, a shift in the pelvis or whatever. So much more people like my clients will literally say, it's like, how did you see that? Like mm. you, I, my belly button's under my shirt. How'd you know? Like I, well, I, you know, train, I've been doing this for X, mm-hmm. you know, 11 years. I can see your shirt move, the wrinkles in your shirt, whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. looking at energy work like yoga and Qigong and Tai Chi and Reiki and meditation in general and breath work and on and on and on. All of them are really, in my opinion, they're training the extrasensory perception or that you could even call it the intrasensory perception, you know, like the things, Mm -hmm. the subtle senses outside of the five major senses of see, smell, touch, taste, Uh sound, you know, but like your husband is attuned to the sound because of just stimulus response over and over his I'm sure the bones in his ears, even if you were to study like all of the greats in whatever they have, you know, like the bones shift, you know, and like mm-hmm. things change. The hairs are more dense around, you know, his ear. Who fucking knows, you know, mm-hmm. like all the little 
details, but like that all can be objectively reduced down and proven to show that there is adaptations to the practice when you start to master a certain skill. And, you know, those energy work practices are training those other senses, you know, and even like meditation, like awareness practices, like focus on the tip of your nose, focus mm-hmm. on feeling the blood pulsing in your thumbs or whatever, you know. Right. Like and I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think one more level to this too is getting out of our heads and getting into our body because, you know, the ultimate language is actually in the body language. And so, you know, that's another layer of, you know, receptivity and getting out of your head, especially in the work that I do through nursing and where Qigong crosses so well is that you don't have to say a damn thing. You know, if that person, if you can just be near that person, or even if you're putting hands on that person, Mm -hmm. that's the language that I think is so much more deeply taken in often than the words can be misconstrued. They can be confusing. Uh, they can be, you know, out of our dialect or out of our, you know, our, our slang that we use. So it, it just is a much more direct way to communicate often. And then being almost like you're talking about the perception with that is, you know, another refinement of kind of being aware of, you know, how to treat people, how to coach people, how, how to mentor and work with people. Yeah. And those subtle perceptions, like you're saying, you know, like the tone or uh, just a look, there's so many, right? Like you said, the body, oh my God, like written on my fridge right now, top of the fridge, it says embody the teachings. The (laughs) teachings are in the body, but you must practice them using the vessel. That's why we came into the vessel to experience through practice, to learn, to grow, you know? And so like that is so key when you practice energy work, practicing your, your ability to perceive the subtle, I guess, Mm -hmm. because then when you're in that situation, one eye flick of an eye contact, one thing, and you're like, Oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. Here's Mm -hmm. my options, you know? And like, it really brings it down to the perceiving emotions because emotions are energy in motion, you know, that are expressed in a physical way through the language of the body or the words or whatever. So Mm -hmm. being extra aware and sensitive to that, I think is, you know, a blessing and a curse to a degree. Cause like you said, you walk down the beat and you're like, Whoa, Whoa, I didn't want all that. You know, especially this day and age. And, in my experience with the younger generations and like uh, I've seen it more with people closer to my age and younger Mm -hmm. that have more of this natural sensitivity and connection already. And then you throw them into an environment that's like, that shit's not real. You're crazy. You, you need ADHD medication and you have a possible diagnosis for schizophrenia, (laughs) (laughs) whatever, you know? And it's like, well, maybe they're just already, aware of these subtle perceptions, but they came equipped with the technology, but not the skills, the practice to embody them and actually be able to harness that ability to a way that it allows you to create boundaries, to protect yourself, use the tools in service to making yourself in the world a better place, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, just goes off and off more and more back around to the subjects that all of us are all about, you know, rants, rants at the Radiant Wildcare Summit is creating a place for these people to go mm-hmm. and practice these teachings, places like I'm sure the Health Earth Rising 
the mm-hmm. ions on you know yeah, that earthrise retreat like, um, here's how you grow healthy food and here's how you meditate and do qigong and yoga mm-hmm. and here's some journaling reflective writing practices and mm-hmm. like here's a nature walk activity you know just like creating all those opportunities for them to actually ground into the body and then just start learning from the messages that are coming in then at that point yep. in time, we'll just get into that space where the radio beacon is able to not only bring the messages in, but interpret them in a way that doesn't overload the system and yep. cause kind of like the, the computer to crash. Yeah. I've seen that plenty of times too, you know, the totally. people that are up in the clouds, but not grounded. They haven't mm-hmm. actually practiced what they preach and you can tell because it, you know, and it expresses our lives or mirrors for our, our personal realities, which is our, our thoughts, beliefs, and our values. Our personal reality is our personality. So it's expressed in the way that you live your life. And if you don't embody those teachings, it can get super overwhelming, especially depending on the environment that you're in. If you don't get to live in Maui and have a beautiful Zen nature environment every day, that's just yeah. under the fire, especially like kids in a public school. My God, you know. Or, totally. or women having a child, you know, like right in an institution. I don't think there's anything. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else worth being more alarmed about than that scenario right there. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, even like you said, you know, feeling the energies and those more subtle signals. You know, some people say, well, you know, it's it's not energy. It's just your your body is taking in all of these stimuli, the visual, blah blah blah, and the hearing. And I'm just like. But what are those visual stimuli? It's light waves. It's sound waves. Like, what is the differentiation between the broader term energy or the fact that something over there is causing waves to move through the air and hit me in the eyes, which causes nerve impulses? These are all forms of energy. So really, everyone's talking about the same thing. We're just Mm. using different language. And I don't care how you want to express it. Use whatever language works for you. And Mm -hmm. like you said, training these subtle things in a way you're, you know, it's like, yeah, some of them might be outside the five senses. Some of them may be with well within the five senses. And it's just a matter of, you know, allowing yourself to process them so efficiently so that, you know, when you move past something, you're not consciously analyzing every little bit of it, but it just hits you as a knowing, as a feeling, and you become better at that type of perceiving. And, so it's really all very down to earth mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think about it. It's mm-hmm. very much down to earth and something that we can all relate to and experience when it's introduced to us in a way that resonates. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you guys know Shaman Durek? Uh, someone's referred me that name before. Yeah. Anyways, I just recently got to listen to him talk a, a little bit about this, about how, you know, all of these, you know, experiences that we have, they have, they do have meaning to us, right? And we run programs from a very young age that are kind of placed in us, mostly by our parents, but some by society learned by your, your parents or in your environment as well. But he was talking about conscious, it's like software. You're kind of thinking of the, about the body as like hardware and software, right? The genetics mm-hmm. work really well with this too. It's like your genes are your hardware, right? But the epigenetics is the software. What's the recipe going to be? What's the program that's going to be run off the hardware? So he was talking about having an awareness, an inner awareness about the programs that you're running and being able to consciously 
um, disable a program if it's not working for you or if it's hurting another person that you love and asking for help and support in dis disengaging that program and rewriting and rerunning the new program. So these meaning, you know, these meaningful events that happen to us that can be quite intense, you know, like you're saying, like experiencing a birth or a traumatic birth or a car accident or somebody close to you gets very hurt or sick, you know, it's like, what, how are you going to respond and react in these more intense situations in life so that it's going to, it's going to, you know, be that point in your life where everything changes from that point from, it's going to be altered from that point and being able to ground yourself in the proper programs to be able to deal with things like that. Because, you know, everything's hunky dory when you're singing Kumbaya, but it's being able to kind of go through some of these deeper, harder you know, traction-oriented experiences in our life that really, um, you know, kind of set us up with this this character that we have, with this embodiment that we have. I think it's so important, too, to provide that structure for people, you know, like uh, the chances that something that you're interested in have been somehow scientifically researched is really, really high, you know, like going back to the idea of, you know, like I just was, I saw something like this just reminded me of that as like going back to the idea of, well, those energy waves, like you can't prove that. There's literally a field of study called cymatics, right? Where you study sound waves and what they do and how different frequencies of sound, the frequency of interval of the wave going up and down for anybody that doesn't know sine waves very well, the higher the frequency, the higher the pitch of the sound, the different shapes that it will make in the vibratory field from the sound waves resonating at, at that frequency. Like there's so much science on all this stuff already, but that's the beauty of it. And I love Joe Dispenza's work because he is Joe Dispenza and Wim Hof, I think do a really good job of this taking these esoteric practices. Joe Dispenza mainly meditation, but he talks a lot about chakras and somewhat about yoga, but it's, it's all related to utilizing the technology, embodying the teachings like we've been talking about, but Wim Hof the same way with, he's an old yogi. He does pranayama and, and yoga stuff and meditation and then uses the cold, you know, but both of them do a really good job on never using the words yoga or Joe Dispenza does a little bit with more in his inner circles, but you won't hear him casually reference to the general audience mm -hmm. chakras. And, you know, like he's very good about using science. Same thing with Wim Hof. And I love the, the, the kind of phrase Joe uses is science is the bridge between language because no matter what language you speak, if you have a set, you know, parameter of terminology that you use, like this is going to be that no matter what language it is. And that allows people to start to understand these interpretations from these other cultures that are all just talking about the same Mount Everest from a different perspective. Yes. Like, oh, that's that same word that means this. Okay. Now that can easily be practically applied. My rational brain doesn't have to sit there and like, try to refute it 10 times over because it's like, oh, science, research, language, boom, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to like one of my favorite, my, one of my favorite phrases is preserve the core, stimulate change. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the greatest spiritual practices and the, the idea behind the yin yang symbol is like the core, the teaching stays the same mm -hmm. ultimately 
in its infinite depth, you'll never become a full true master because there is no end destination. It's about the journey that you take, no matter what skill you choose to practice at what point in time. But as long as you're embracing the teachings and, and being humble to continuing to learn that beginner's mind from Buddhism, the message, the, the interpretation, the expression of it will change slightly throughout time. You know, Jesus has years of lost records that they've uncovered from a Buddhist temple where he went and studied Buddhism from age 14 to 28. And then he went back and he took the concepts of yoga and Buddhism and then said them in a different way to a different group of people that didn't know what yoga and Buddhism was, mm -hmm. you know, and like Wim Hof and Joe Dispenza are doing that now to the West. They're taking these Eastern terms, using science to bridge that information over and see, Hey, it's not woo woo energy. They're waves and particles and they do mm -hmm. this and they do this and we just studied it. So start doing it because it's good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what pioneers they are too, because, you know, all we need is to have them kind of set the foot in the ground. A lot of people are looking to them and wanting to emulate their work. And what science does best is to have duplicity in these results, right? The more duplication that you can get of results, the better the science is. So, it, I, you know, just like hats off to these guys because they're going in this territory that is so, it's pretty untouched, mm -hmm. you know, so far as research goes. It's like Greg Cook says, imagine the fuss that 2D map makers had to put up when they were told that the earth was round, you mm -hmm. know, like their entire 25 years of life drawing 2D maps was a lie, you know, <laughs> and they got to relearn a totally new skill. You know, you know how many of them were so proud that they were like, fuck that, no, there's <laughs> No way. It's still 2D. That's some bullshit, you know? Or like <laughs> airplanes. Those guys are crazy. Wow. Plane flies overhead. Oh, shit. I was wrong, you know? Like, <laughs> and it's just like the idea of like the scientific curve of mainstream, you know, going back to that idea, science not understood. You know, you talk about energy and stuff like, go read a few books on quantum physics. Go to PBS, type in Nova string theory. There's a three hour long docu-series that'll teach you the basics about quantum physics. You're like, oh, wow, we've been studying that stuff for a while. It's not woo-woo at all. Mm -hmm. you know? And then, wow, it's kind of interesting that these people have been practicing it for thousands of years over there across the pond. And then, you know, just taking that idea is like, once you understand it using the language of science, it, there's still going to be a 50-year learning curve before the mainstream even talks about this stuff, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. So like you said, them being pioneers in that sense, and that's ultimately one of my goals is to try to make this esoteric knowledge, this ancient wisdom, regular, normal. It's not, yeah. it's not any different than anything else. It exists, and if you dive into the rabbit hole, if you're willing and have the desire, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So... And, and that takes it back too to like what you said is reciprocity or not reciprocity, um, repeatability of the studies is so key to do one study. Cool. There's scientific study in general is one thing that people don't understand. Like we were talking about in the beginning of this is like my degree was in reading research papers, you know, like there is a system to understand methods and results and like what a P value is and if a study is actually significant or not and how many people are involved. And there's, there's so many little details that can make a study you can argue two opposite points with the same research paper most of the time if you pick your own little pieces of data and talk about it 
how no, to correctly interpret the research is yeah, clutch because that's where we get clickbait in the media and everyone pointing to science and coming up with all opposite conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. ultimately it comes down to personal practice. Mm-hmm. You know, like what works for you, you know, what makes you feel good? Are you documenting the process? Are you turning your life into an experiment? Because you're the scientist and the lab rat. Yeah, it's a great way to approach it. It makes it more interesting. And I think you get a lot of dopamine hit off that as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and so Tiara, then you've taken all of this stuff we've been discussing today and sort of put it into practices for nurses and moms. And so how does that come to life? How does that how does that manifest? How do we take all of these topics we've been discussing, which some are very down to earth, some are very theoretical, mm-hmm. and how do those play out when you're giving advice to a nurse or to a mom? Yeah, well, I think that one of the main pieces as we go along our journey is that we have to have somewhat of a um, documentation, like you're saying, John, about like what's the plan and what are we doing here and what have we written down. Maybe for some people, it might be more videoing if that's more their you know, reference for documentation and then having people, having your community to support you in it. So you have to have your accountability. So I have a course that um, I've put together for nurses and um, in that course, there's just slices of the pie, so to speak, of different, like we said in the bio menu options for them to kind of choose their area of what's what's the part that needs work for you what's the part that's uncomfortable what's the part that you feel and you see is you want to you want to take a little bit more look at and get support around so for most people um it's gonna manifest pretty physically but i offer those people that really have um, kind of lived the world of nutrition and um, movement and sleep practices and have done that and have kind of understood and they sort of have themselves on a bit of a regimen or routine or ritual with that to dive deeper into self-love practices, um, mindset practices, being able to to um, plan things in the future to look forward to if you're working through different projects that are maybe not so gratifying or harder work for you or you're kind of stuck in a part of your life that you know you need to get through. So, so what I think is different about my course is that I offer the ability to um, have an implementation of the practices as well as an integration. So, you know, a plan portion of it, where it's, there's, a, there's a documentation aspect and then an integration where you're going to have an accountability buddy to go through this process with and make sure e- either you or each other is meeting the needs that you have set forth at the beginning of the course. How long is it? You know, it's self-paced, but I think ideally, like a lot of stuff like this, I think it's really good if you get it done in a prescribed period of time, because then you really reap the benefits a little bit more. You stay on track. You you keep going, right? You got one layer done, peel the next layer of the onion. So I have it set out as six weeks, but within the six weeks, it has a, 
repeated aspect to it or you plan your next six weeks. Sure. Um, so yeah, so the course is six modules done in six weeks, but again, busy moms, you know, full-time nurses, you know, you may need to break that down into eight, 12 weeks for yourself. Yeah. That's a good option there. And I love that too, because ultimately it just reminds me of your self-care model of like, after the six weeks, it's still the same stuff, you know, like simplicity and consistency, repeat, 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 and refine, refine as you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so with moms, uh, you, with your book talking about, you know, postpartum blues to postpartum bliss, what are some of the factors that you see as contributing to the postpartum blues? And what are, what's some, you know, concrete advice you can give to moms that can help them to uh, prevent those blues and to really have more of that blissful experience in those first few months? Yeah, so um, I think what we have an epidemic of in the birth world is lack of support and isolation. I think those are the two most, contri- I mean, they're kind of tandemized, right? They kind of go together, but um yeah, so what happens in the model of hospital care, which is predominantly where 98, 99% of women birth in, is that you get a two to three day stay, maybe four if you're sick or need extra help, and then you're kicked to the curb for two to four, two to six weeks, mostly six weeks if you have a, a pretty normal birth. So, you know, what goes on in the aspect of, you know, a 48-hour period where, you know, say you deliver within the first 24 hours and then you're kind of discharged over the next 24 to 48 hours is this like intense experience that it's just like what the fuck just happened (laughs) and then you're like see ya you know and kind of wouldn't want to be ya I mean there really is that aspect it's like oh you're fucked you know like you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you have I mean not everybody's like that's a little bit extreme but not everyone has a plan for what they're going to be doing it's just you know and the other thing that actually is a huge factor with um young people now, you know, growing up and having their kids is that um, they're not educating themselves properly around how to have a baby, taking care of yourself, getting yourself prepared, getting yourself nourished, getting yourself into that open, open state of being able to receive this child coming into your life. And traditionally, we would go to childbirth classes, like I said, like that was sort of my, my introduction to this world was being able to hang out with my stepmom in her Lamaze classes. There's this huge community aspect of birth that happened through the childbirth education. Now, um, younger people don't attend those. I mean, their life has been filled up by minutia and electronics. And there's some things that are getting online in terms of like, you know, you can go and take a, a Skype or a Zoom class um, of childbirth education, but it doesn't have that community support mm-hmm. aspect to it that, tra- you know, not traditionally, but going back 30 years, it really had. Um, so, and then, you know, you get Dr. Google involved too. And people say, oh yeah, well, I learned, you know, I did my own online education. It's like, well, what the hell did you read? You know, yeah. there's some real crap out there and then there's <laughs> stuff too so I never know what people mean by saying that that's how they educated themselves yeah. so that's sort of part of the beginning of the problem then they get kicked to the curb outside the hospital and then they get to have like maybe a 15 minute visit with their obstetrician or midwife six weeks down the road um, 
And if it is shorter, say one week or two weeks, it's what they call an incision check because you had a C-section or you've got high blood pressure. And uh, it's just a check-in for physicality. You know, they're going to do a little screen like, oh yeah, you know, are you having thoughts about hurting yourself or the baby? And it's like, like, I'm going to tell you that in five minutes. You know, you got to <laughs> connect with me. You got you to gotta feel out what's going on with me. So, so this book was born out of an inspiration of having some support and readiness for support to happen at the two to three to four day mark all the way through really your first year. And it'd be great if it was started, you know, right after you have the baby, the end of the pregnancy to be reading this or in the pregnancy to be reading this and then kind of develop these mindset tools. Um, you know, you kind of practice them so that when the time comes, you're like, yeah, I'm familiar with this. This is what she noticed. This is what's happening. This is my flavor of it. This is how I need to deal with it. Mm. So yeah. it doesn't really give you that group setting like, oh, you know, I've got this 52 ways to love yourself postpartum group that we're all going to meet up, um, you know, in some uh, rec center room someplace. Um, but um, it's just some thought process to, to get yourself um, inserted into some community support, inserted into your family, have people help you, have your friends involved. Don't think that because you had a baby and it's so hard and you're staying up all night that nobody wants nobody is there to help you. There are people that really do want to help. And a lot of times you just feel like you're so lost because it's so crazy that you forget how to ask or you, you forget that, um, you know, that people actually do want to come over and hold your baby while you take a shower or soak in the bathtub, or they want to make you a sandwich you actually can eat while you're breastfeeding. Yeah, absolutely. Little and things that you just don't think about, you know, you just don't know until you're really in that experience. Mm -hmm. Your book has become my go-to gift for baby showers, <laughs> just so you know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's beautiful. Anyone I know who's open to reading a book um, and open to that kind of personal development stuff gets your book at their baby shower and that's mm. it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And hopefully that's just that, that little piece that can open them up to some possibility, right? It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be this way. And in fact, in some ways, so when I had my first child, I was quite isolated. I was in Southern Oregon. I was with a man that was not too emotionally stable. Um, I, I was in the country. I mean, we were far from people and I, I did, I mean, I don't feel like I had, depression, but I was definitely feeling stuck and like, God, how do I navigate this world now that I'm two instead of one? And um, that could have been a lot of help to me. But when I had my second two kids, like I had built that, you know, I had learned, I had understood. And, and it was, you know, I was talking with my midwife afterwards and she's like, Hey, you're in postpartum bliss. And I was like, that's right. That's what it is. That's what I feel. And you know what? The tears weren't coming around. I'm sad and this is so overwhelming. They were coming around. This is so incredibly beautiful. And I can't believe that I get to have this experience yeah. with my child, with my partner, with my other child, with my community. Mm -hmm. uh. That's so beautiful. It is. I'm getting emotional <laughs> I, just listening to you. I can see it in your face, Nicole. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> what more important of a process occurs than you know the continuation of our species it's just yeah so important and i i truly believe too that that's going to be one of the biggest paradigm shifts in this kind of reframing of the educational system is you know like emphasizing you know, and it's not just the nine months, you know, like even, and it's not just the woman, you know, from the male's perspective, this is proven scientifically that if you want to have an optimal epigenetic expression, the sperm and the egg that you have, the kid that or the, the genes that you're passing on when you have a kid are actually affecting the second and up to the third generation of children after you. So Absolutely. Your epigenetic expression, your health now today affects your grandkids' health. Like, Absolutely. It's a huge responsibility and to not be prepared for conception by upgrading and optimizing your genetic expression like i'm not about to give some dinky ass sperm to my to the egg you know? like, i want my michael phelps out there you know like, I, want a, I want a record time i want a gold medal I want to go as smooth as possible for her and you know like especially with like the infertility rates and yep. birth defect rates and, and all the stuff, it's all preventable. Like yep. I don't want to use the word all there's obviously circumstances, but I mean, like if you're not taking care of the organism prior to duplicating yourself, like, <laughs> no, it's, I think it's, that's yeah, it's so true, John. And just to lay down some like, you know, science with that, there's a book that's called, you probably know of it. I'm always so, I have a hard time remembering these titles, but um, it's not about you. It's not because of you. Do you know what? It's like inherited trauma. Oh, uh, it's not. Is it just, it's not you? It, no, it's not, it's not. It's not because of you, I think is the title. Anyways, we'll get it. I'll, I'll text you guys it when, when we're done. We can get in the show notes if you want. But part of me was there inside my grandmother. I mean, really in like energetic way, of course, right? But part of me was alive as eggs in the growing fetus of my mother that lived in my grandmother's womb. Mm -hmm. The eggs are there in the fetus. Mm -hmm. So that's on the female side. The male side, we don't fully understand, but there is an aspect of that too. So like you're saying, one, two, three generations. And what we're finding as well, it's so interesting is that, um, and if you guys have heard of the Dutch, the Dutch went, uh, the Dutch hunger winter mm -hmm. study. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they did this, you know, they did all of these studies on different aspects of basically starvation that happen in different periods in gestation and how that played out in terms of disease risk up to like 30 to 60 years later for a human being after they were born. So, you know, we know that, that there is beyond just, you know, something that is more um, energetic, these actual physical Mm -hmm. pieces that are occurring because of the planning and preparation of a birth. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I kind of think about that. My, my grandmother was not orphaned, but her mother actually died giving herself an abortion when she was one year old. 
one year old. So it's so harsh, right? So traumatic. She was raised by her stepmother, who was a wonderful person. But I think about that trauma of losing a mother at that super young age and how those kinds of things translate down the line to when she carried her own child and what that was like to her to have a child not really having a a mother that attached to her in the way that, you know, a mother would, um, because she was dealing with, you know, not wanting to have a child from her husband because of the circumstances of what that marriage and relationship was like. So that has to have had some effect on me down the line as she carried my mother and had my mother as a one-year-old reliving that experience of her own mother and then on from my mother to me. And it's kind of interesting too, my mother actually and father divorced when I was seven. Like I said, my stepmother was having my sister when I was 11. And even though like there is not this recognition of consciousness, conscious blame towards my mother, but my mother actually left me to stay with my father. And I have, I love my mother. We have a great relationship, but at a young age, because my father was more able to take care of it. So here's this like repetitive cycle that's going on where we don't fully understand all of these things, but there is something in it that's very, very true. And I think unlocking some of that for us as we become mothers is really interesting and being able to break the cycle Mm -hmm. and being able to fully experience what you're doing consciously and being able to share this with the next generation in a way that heals it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately too, with that idea of embodying the teachings by implementing a system that's been repeatedly applied and shown to be effective, like you have, what, what a better way to, to help remediate any risk and optimize the experience with the intention of breaking old loops, old patterns, old habits, breaking, you know, lines of conditioning through the practice of awareness, which can be cultivated very quickly and, um, you know, intensely through the practices of yoga and Qigong and mm-hmm. Tai Chi, you know, just... Mm-hmm. Practicing that on, just for the, you know, the satisfaction of making the process easier, you know, making the experience more enjoyable. If that's the only benefit during pregnancy alone, then I would, if I were pregnant, like, you know, I would search every avenue, you know, and mm-hmm. especially the alternative ones with no, you know, like how hard is it to stand there? with your arms up you know like the same thing that's why i'm such a big proponent of fasting is it's like all you got to do is nothing yeah (laughs) it's it's that easy find those things that have that big that's one of the hardest things to do john is to be nothing do nothing and want nothing (laughs) right i mean we're really programmed to do like the opposite of that yeah. So I love your example of do be, you know, uh-huh. equal parts of the feminine energy of being and just opening and receiving and allowing. And then, you know, also taking that forward in some form of expressive action with the intention of creation, that masculine energy of doing. Yep. Yep. 
it's yeah, it's true. It's good. It's like a lesson that I have to reteach myself every single day. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I think probably part of like being raised by a father, um, and being a real like daddy's girl and being an athlete it really and being a single mom too it really stoked my masculine fires mm -hmm. and so it was kind of a relearning process when i actually married my husband that i actually did have another half that could to, could play out that masculine side more that I was allowed and given permission to be in the feminine more. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, I mean, I've only been married for, well, we've been together for 17 years, but, um, been married for 13. And so it's, I mean, it's really only been in the last decade plus that I've been actually allowed to explore those avenues of myself more. And that's like I say, like I have to relearn and repractice and refocus in on that every day. Cause it's, it's, um, it's been kind of taught out of my nature. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear you. So is it okay if you guys, um, I'm probably going to head soon. Um, can I read a passage of my, my book as we kind of round out here? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to, maybe I could do two cause they're really short. So there's one that I want to read and there's one that I just want to like open and okay. see what hits and then just read that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let me start out. So I'm going to make it kind of like, so here, here's, the cover. Um, just a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can put it, um, we can put a link in. A little higher. A little higher. Up, up there. there we go. Okay, now we can see most of it. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So, so here, I'll just do, it's kind of like a card deck. I'll just kind of close and kind of fill out what the right one is. Okay. So, ha, this is funny. So, what I picked was um, close off, close off sources of negativity. Negative talk, stories, or media need to be at arm's length now and probably forever. Your energy needs are massive during this time, and there is no room for toxicity to drain it. So that's kind of what we were talking about today was with Qigong, right? It's always coming back to the Qigong. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of being aware of where, what you're plugged into mm -hmm. and um, consciously unplugging from avenues that aren't serving you. Mm -hmm. And um, I think especially when you're pregnant and postpartum, you are wide open. And a lot of people want to touch your belly and tell you scary stories. I'm sure, Nicole, you experienced this. Like, you know, every story you heard about birth was like a horror story. I mean, 90% of them, you, you get one in there that was good. But um, and it's so, they're pregnant women are so vulnerable. They're so open to to what is you know what is being channeled through them in the growth of this baby um so it's yeah it's a really important lesson to um to really be consciously aware of putting your energy where it needs to go during that time mm-hmm the other one that i want to read is about trauma and i sorry i don't want to mean to be like kind of a negative nancy around it kind of sounds negative <laughs> when i say trauma but um you know, I think that there's big T's and little T's with trauma. Yeah. And, you know, we need it actually in some ways to be able, like we were talking about character before. Yeah, um, it's the opportunity to grow. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little T's in our life, right? And it's just kind of how we're going to respond to them. Okay. So this one's actually called transform the story you tell yourself. 
Transform, I was rushed back to the OR for an emergency C-section. It was so scary. And two, I was cradled in safety as my providers worked very quickly to keep my baby and me safe. We delivered by cesarean birth and it was chaotic, but now I have the time to heal and I am so grateful that I was in the right place at the right time. This example is just one possibility. Look for an opening in your story to see your experiences, experience as one of surrender to your baby and emergence on the other side. There is still an opportunity for growth there may be room for forgiveness for the very human doctors and nurses that cared for you. The event is behind you. Now it is about how it resides within you. Oh, oh my, that personally resonates with me so much. Um, I've read that passage before. You might have read it to me. And that just personally resonates with me so much because I feel like I did have a birth experience that could have been perceived to be traumatic. Um, I mean, the people who attended my birth still tell me how traumatized they were by witnessing what I went through. Um, and it's just so true what you said, because for me, I feel like I did do things the way I wanted to, and I could have told a different story, but the way I've told the story is one of gratitude. Like I was grateful that I had um, practiced the techniques that allowed me to manage pain because otherwise I don't know how I would have dealt with the complications. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I was able to deliver by cesarean because I know that I did everything to have a natural birth and that if cesareans didn't exist, either me or Eric or both would have died, you know? And so knowing that, you know, I, knowing that I had that, that option and being able to see that things played out exactly the way they needed to is, you know, like, like what you said, the story is so important. I mean, that just resonates with me so well because I'm not traumatized. I know, and I've heard you tell your story before, and I just feel like there's so much healing in your story. When I hear your story, it sounds very empowering to me. So this yeah. is my son, Emerson. Hi, Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> He's my youngest guy. Yeah, so... I think it's really um, a great example of how you use a passage like what I wrote to, um, to, to become empowered, to become more of who you are, to develop even further in your growth as a mother to move forward. Mm -hmm. Hi, sweetie. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't have to be like that. I mean, it might not have been like that. You know, if somebody else went through what you did, you know, it's quite possible that they would be seeing counseling for years because of that. They may have not attached to their baby because of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I think that that's kind of like gifts to you. Hats off to you for having such preparation for your child. You were really ready to bring him into the world. And also for having the mindsets that you did and the learnings that you did that you were able to, to gather in your life to be able to see things the way that you do about your birth. And um, there's always opportunity for another healing birth, though I say, you know, who knows if there's another one for you, Nicole, but, you know, like I see so many people be able to like have another birth and because they went through the first one and then the way they did, even if they gain some 
empowerment and knowledge and growth out of it to be able to have another child in a way that um, is even like deepening for that experience. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, I hope so. And um, I'm determined there will be another child, whether it's biological, whether it's adopted. I like to, I think it's important to remember that we have the choice to become parents in a lot of cases, even if the biological side doesn't work out. And so, yeah, you know, thank you. And I, Mm -hmm. like you said, taking that experience and using it to uh, deepen the next one, you know, it's, I've thought a lot about that and yep. you know what I would do differently. I don't regret trying for a, um, a, an all natural birth at home the way I did, because if I had chosen the hospital experience, knowing now what it was like, I would have regretted choosing it. Whereas now I know that that was really the only option for me. And I'm so grateful that that option existed. It's a very different mindset. And next time, you know, whether it is a natural birth or whether it's an adoption and the way I create space around that and bring the baby into the, into the family, into my life is you're right. It's going to using that experience. I can deepen that new transition. So you're Mm -hmm. spot on. And that connection to yourself Mm -hmm. as mother. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, So let's give everyone an idea of where they can find you to hear more of this great wisdom you have to offer. Uh, Well, I think in the future, um, I'm going to be doing most of my marketing through my website by kind of keeping my uh, website updated. I am on social media, but I'm not very active on social media. And I think it's going to be kind of a little bit more of that path because for me, I find that plugging into social media is one of my drainers. It's mm-hmm. not one of my things that kind of makes me feel like fueled up and empowered. So um, I, you know, I'm from time to time, I am posting on nursing ourselves on Facebook. Um, my website is nursing ourselves dot com and um instagram as well as nursing ourselves and um twitter from time to time i'll shoot something out there at uh nurse ourselves it's not nursing on twitter it's nurse ourselves okay and these will all be in the show notes so you guys can find tiara very easily and yes. also, we can't forget to mention that Tierra has given us a special offer just uh, for those of you who are listening. Terry, do you want to tell people about it? Sure. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, for this specific podcast, um, I will go ahead and post up a coupon that it will be in the show notes. So maybe it'll be just a... Um, you know, an easy thing for people to cut and paste. Cause I actually could, I have to go look at it again, Nicole, to remember the actual coupon code, but um, it is go nurse yourself 50. Okay. Yes. Go nurse yourself. <laughs> go nurse yourself. Hey. That's, John, that's my t-shirt right there. Sweatshirt. Go nurse, go yourself. nurse yourself. Go yes. jerk yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go nurse yourself 50 will be 50% off the course, but I think it brings it down really close to 49.99 for a 6-week yeah. course. It's really really low cost for high value. So I really yeah. encourage people to take advantage of that and um and it's just going to be this like deep course whether you're a, a nurse or not. It's it still can be highly applicable to you. And yeah, it'll be a deep dive into your own process of um of growth and development. Mm-hmm. Well, fire. 
You already know this because I love you dearly, my <laughs> sister. But Thank for you, everybody listening, this woman is one of the most authentic and genuine people I have met. She really cares about serving others and she's mm -hmm. very present when you engage with her. So I highly recommend following her on social media for her wisdom, but also just engaging with her content and um, her programs, books and systems, because it's, it's practical. It's a real human being on the other side of the screen. And she's her, her whole mission is to make the world a better place. I couldn't recommend someone more highly. Yeah. And if people want to connect with me in person, like DMing me on Instagram is a really um, good way for me to just be able to connect individually. And if, if, you know, if you do want to friend me, um, you know, Tierra Owen on Facebook, you know, that's, that's fine too. And, and using messenger is a really easy way to connect personally for, for coaching or if there's individual work that one-on-one -on -one we want to do. You know, I just had an idea too. I got to throw it out there before I forget, but um, I got to talk to Tony. We got to get him on here. Little magic. Oh gosh. Yeah. Tony would be great. Cause he just did, you know, he just did a big event in Ireland. So he's back oh, and he, he would, up. he would love to talk to you. Fired up. Yeah. I'd love to have a good episode with him on flow and performance and human health optimization, all that good stuff. Yeah. Let me know when you do. Cause I want to tune in. For sure, dude. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time today, Tierra. It's been no problem. This is going to be gold for our audience. Oh, thank you, you guys. It's so great to see you on screen. And I, I can't wait for the next time I get to hug you in person. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. Thank you so much, Tierra. And thank you to all of you for listening to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz. And I'm John Kempf. Make sure to go uh, leave us some comments, uh, have any questions about any topics you want us to cover. Feel free to post those and we'll, any guests that you want us to interview, anything like that. Uh, subscribe and share with any friends that you uh, know, any women that are pregnant or have had a child, and this would be really valuable content for them. So uh, sharing is caring, guys. Grow the support by sharing this with everyone you know. Absolutely. And thanks again to Tierra Owen. Have a happy and healthy day, everybody. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Optimizing Human Potential show. Don't forget to rate and review. For more information, you can visit www.holistictherapiesdirectory.com. And from their website, you can check out their social pages. We'll see you in the next episode.